Welcome to Author Imprint, the podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Orton. After we interview authors on our web series about their latest work, we ask them to stick around for the podcast where we get into the nitty gritty of creating a book. How do they stay focused through the writing and rewriting? What does it take to get a book published? So sitting next to me is Jeffrey Deaver, whose award-winning mystery thrillers have sold over 50 million copies globally. He's written over 35 novels, three collections of short stories, and a nonfiction law book. And he's musically inclined. He's also written lyrics to a country album. Jeffrey, thanks for being here. Thank you, Maddie. Good to be here. So I guess first we should just quickly address that country album. I respect you and the listeners so much, I am not going to sing. I'll tell you right now. Um, a, long, a long time ago, in one of my prior incarnations, I was a uh, singer-songwriter. And you'll note that has two components to it, the singer and the songwriter mm-hmm. part. And I was a pretty good songwriter. I wrote hundreds of songs, some of which were recorded by other people. Um, but the singing part did not go too well. I don't not have so that, that kind of voice. And you also need to hit the <laughs> notes and things like that. A bizarre string of murders is happening in New York City. And forensic investigator Lincoln Rhyme... Lincoln Rhyme... Lincoln Rhyme... ...must untangle a shocking mystery. Lincoln Rhyme has 14... Uh, 14 novels. Yes, the, the 14th is not out. It will be out next year. It is coming out. published, yes. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about Lincoln Rhyme, or re- really any of these, you know, uh, series that have a character like that, is you kind of get to, I guess, know him over time like you as the writer. Sure. I mean, he's, he must be kind of a part of your life now, right? Sure. Um, the um, For your listeners who may not be familiar, the... Um, Lincoln Rhyme appeared in The Bone Collector, the, mm-hmm. the movie uh, starring Denzel Washington and Angelina Jolie. And the character is unique. He's a quadriplegic. He was injured at a crime scene a few years before The Bone Collector opened. And he's kind of given up on life. But a crime occurs in New York City, and he's kind of hauled out of retirement and discovers that even though he has this uh, quite debilitating condition, well, you know what? Sherlock Holmes didn't get out of the office very much either. He used his mind. Now, I never thought the character would be as popular as he was. Uh, but I think that may be the main reason, because he solves the crime with his brain, not by shooting people, not by karate kicking them. How does it feel at a certain point, you know, when you've written a Lincoln Rhyme novel, 14 different versions of this, does he grow and, and change? Do you feel like you get to know different pieces of his personality? Mm. Does that even make sense to say sure. his personality? Oh, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Um, I'm a plot-driven author. I spend eight months writing an outline for the book before I write a single word. But the best plot in the world is useless if you don't have living, breathing characters, Mm. both the good guys and the the bad guys. And so that's why authors need to bring a sense of, um, you know, humanity and depth to the the characters they, they write about. And only in that way will that you know, moment of peril mean anything because look at a bad made-for-TV movie where the characters are uh, cardboard. Right. You know, the villains. Uh, uh, your listeners can't see my balding hairstyle, but I ha- if I had that and a ponytail and wore a leather jacket, that means by definition I'm the bad guy. You know, the author, of the filmmaker, doesn't need to do anything to create a, uh, a like a real human being within that facade. Sure. Um, but when we do that, then the stakes are higher. Then readers keep following the the characters. But like all of us, you have to make that character grow. And Lincoln has. And it's no surprise, if people have read my last book, that Lincoln and Amelia, that's the Denzel Washington and Angelina Jolie character, in the last book, they get married. 
They've been professional partners for all this uh, much time. And then in the uh, most recent book, they get they get married. And I'll tell you, I get a lot of fan mail from around the world. And some of it is, oh, what a clever plot. Oh, you missed this. Uh, there was a bad description of this particular street corner in chapter 42. <laughs> oh, I get some of that. The vast majority was about when are Lincoln, uh, when are Lincoln and Amelia gonna get married? Oh my gosh! And uh, they uh, fans really wanted to know that. So, uh, but now of course you have to imperil your characters. So, am I going to keep them together or not? Your listeners are just going to have to tune in next book to find out. I saw an interview of you where you mentioned that you sit in your living room and try to think of ways to scare the pants off people, which Uh, is such a great image to me and exactly what I imagine you doing. I'll tell you the full story if I may. Sure. Okay. I was on a a panel in England and the, um, the, a fellow panelist was one of the grand doyens of of crime writing and she wrote cozier books now I write mm. thrillers sick and twisted thrillers oh yes she wrote mur- thank you I, I, I like that <laughs> affirmation <laughs> she wrote more Agatha Christie style books softer books mm. cozies um, and they're, um, they're they're wonderful books and I've read read many of those but they, they tend to be a bit softer and the question was posed to the panel where do you get your ideas and she said well I'll tell you, I sit in my parlor with a cup of tea and I wait for my muse, whose name was, I think, Frederica or Philomena, to tap me on the head with her magic wand and poof, there's an idea. Well, I laughed out loud, of course, because it's nonsense. Except the audience didn't think it was nonsense and she didn't think it was nonsense. And apparently in her world and to this audience who loved her, uh, Frederica or Philomena are a real entity. And so everyone's kind of glaring at me. Now, as you have just said, in this day and age of the Internet, everything you have ever said and frequently done um, is online. Sure. People can look it up. And so I can't back down from this. So when the question came to me, what was I going to do? I had to answer correctly. And I said, well, you know, I sit down in uh, my, my living room. We don't really have parlors in America. I have a beverage, too, but it's not tea. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. And um, I simply think of a way to scare the socks off you because that's my job. And I come up with ideas that will allow me to do what Mickey Spillane said. He was a Pulp Fiction novelist in the 1950s. And he, he said this, um, people don't read books to get to the middle. They read books to get to the end. Mm. And Following from that, he said, therefore, your job as an author is to grab the readers by the lapels in the opening scene and drag them kicking and screaming through to the end of the book. So they miss subway stops. They show up late for work <laughs> and school. And I, um, that's been my philosophy of writing. So b- by that, I mean I then look for ideas like the opening scene of The Bone Collector. You get into a taxi in New York City, and you tell the uh, driver where you're going. And he, you're not too familiar with the city, but you get a pretty good idea that you're, you're going through parts of Queens and then uh, parts of Brooklyn that, um, you know, by the Gowanus Canal. And, you know, this is not taking me to the Ritz-Carlton downtown. And you start to get a little bit nervous about it. And then you reach for the door to jump out and there's no handles. And that's the last we hear of them. I remember that scene so the vividly. The scene of the bone collector. Well, that's going to get people's attention. 
I mean, I'm very manipulative. I admit that. But but that's going to get readers' attention, and they're going to keep keep powering through the book. Uh, my theory of writing is you raise a conflict or a question every few chapters, and delay answering it for as long as you can. But you ultimately have to have to answer it, and drive the story forward uh, scene by scene that way. Um, I will I will say that you know our listeners are hearing you for a little bit, maybe watched you on the web series, but they they may not realize. You are a, a very funny person, Jeff Deaver, <laughs> and you, you're a very well, affable person. I, I, I did a, I, I'll tell you this very fast story. Uh, sorry to step on your That's question. That's fine. But, but I, so I did an event, and my, um, my presentations, whether I'm teaching courses in writing or um, presenting an award or lecturing uh, or like an after-dinner keynote speaker, you want to make people laugh. My whole life is about entertaining people. I entertain them with scary books, but when I get up in front of the audience, I want I want people to laugh and have a good time. That's what life should be about. So this woman came up to me and she was she was angry. She was actually <laughs> cross, and she she said, "Well, I'm I'm just not very happy with you, Mr. Deaver." And I said, "Well, why not? Did you not like my latest book, or did I say something embarrassing from the stage?" She said, "No, you were funny. You were nice." You write these sick and twisted books. I wanted you to be dark and scary and yeah. mean. Well, yeah. I, I kind of thought, you know, yeah. Edgar Allan Poe was going to show up, and I was a little nervous. Yeah, I tried. Now, I, I have to say, I look a little scary. I, somebody <laughs> looked at the cover of my my latest book, and they have the author picture on that, and she said, you know what, well, it's kind of striking, but you do look like a surly head waiter. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but how, So how do you balance those two things? I mean, you clearly have an excellent sense of humor. You're, you're a fun person. And these books are really disturbing. Well, how do you get into that headspace? Sure. M- my goal in life is to entertain people. I've tried to write humorous pieces, a la Dave Barry, for instance, mm-hmm. or Carl Hyacin. And I don't have a skill for that, oddly enough. Hmm. Uh, to craft a book with... Um, um, a core of humor is very, very difficult. It's it's quite a, a challenge. That's why the god in my pantheon of writing is William Shakespeare, who could mm. do everything well. I came to crime because uh, crime allows authors to follow various conventions. And the, by conventions, I mean this. There's always a, a crime story to tell. And I write uh, thrillers, meaning the... Um, uh, the reader is always wondering what is going to happen next. Mm. They're not intellectual puzzles. There's something terrible that's going to happen soon if the hero doesn't stop. So that drives the story through. But other conventions in crime writing are the soap opera hmm. elements. That is the relationships between maybe the detective and his partner, between parents and children. And that weaves through, that subplot weaves through with the crime story as well. Each one of those um, uh, elements has its own conflict, and then crime encourages you to write about geopolitical issues. Mm. The Burial Hour, for instance. Um, which, which is your latest. My latest, yes. Uh, I've taken a bit of a hit on because I take the position in that book, although it's it's a novel, it features Lincoln Rhyme, uh, set in the world of asylum-seeking and illegal immigration, undocumented folks. I take the position that there are more criminals elsewhere, that, that the immigration problem, and it is a problem in, in, you know, like an economic sense, in a personal sense, uh, that can be solved quite easily in this country or another country by taking a humane approach to it. Allowing people to come into the country does not create dangerous situations. 
there are, there's more danger from people who are already here. Well, so it's a geopolitical issue that I wrote about in a crime book. It didn't make me the most popular person in some circles, and maybe my sales suffered a little bit for it. But nonetheless, it was a valid position, and I thought it was something that should be looked at. Do, so. do you feel compelled to use your platform to... Uh to speak your mind about an issue that you think um, is important? Er Ernest Hemingway said um, that if you want to send a message as a novelist, go to Western Union. Um, <laughs> and now I say that, and you know, some of the younger folks say, what's Western Union? Oh, so, boy. So, so the way I should phrase that is nowadays, uh, if you want to send a message, put it on Facebook or Twitter. Um, but that was a, a little disingenuous of Papa Hemingway because, of course, all his books had important themes that made us think, whether it's mm. about um, the Spanish Civil War, about human relationships, and so forth. Um, I don't think an author should proselytize and preach because that becomes dull prose. And remember, and my theory is you race the book along like, mm -hmm. a, like a, a speeding car, but you give the book depth so that when the reader closes the, um, uh, closes the final page, they have two reactions. One is, Oh, wow, I survived that incredibly <laughs> intense story. And number two, that's something to think about. We have a, a little uh, segment that we'd like to include here, some lightning round questions, huh. if you will, short stories. Sure. Um, Avocado. What? Oh, I thought it was going to be your favorite fruit or vegetable. But go ahead. <laughs> I, I jumped ahead. Avocado? Yeah. Oh, well, all right. There you go. Yeah, That's the big thing now, favorite. I think, right? Is I think really? the hipsters in Brooklyn love their avocados. I was, I was just going alphabetical, but go ahead. Ask your question. Okay. Right. I'm sorry. But that could be the answer. I'm excited to find out. Okay. Uh, question one. What book made you a reader? Avocado. <laughs> that would be amazing uh, okay. if that you was really the answer. You can cut all this out if you want. But <laughs> okay. Um, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Why? Yeah. Uh, Lord of the Rings brought together a... Um, um, an ensemble of living, breathing mm. characters, I can't say humans, because they weren't all humans, they were hobbits and elves and so forth, um, in a, a very tightly uh, woven, multi-plotted story with history, depth, and um, interesting takes on language, mm. and I'm, I'm very interested in, in language, grammar, syntax, and so forth, and um, uh, it was a very muscular story that did, even though the course of over three volumes, and I'm guessing now 1,800 pages. I couldn't read it in one sitting, but it came pretty close to that. Wow. Um, two, how do you write best? I write anywhere, anytime. I wish I could attribute this to a particular person, but it, believe it or not, it was a country western singer, songwriter, who when asked about when he writes, said anywhere. It's combat writing. Huh. And I love that expression because I, last night, um, I'm here in Manhattan and uh, staying at a hotel. I finished my uh, most recent book. I worked about four hours, uh, finished it. Um, I will um, tonight work on a, uh, finish a short story. I wow. wrote on the airplane flying here. And, uh, you know, that sounds arrogant to say, but the fact is I love writing. No, I think it's great. And I, and I also believe that it's a business and that that requires producing a product with some frequency. You know, you can't go to Dwayne Reed or a, a drugstore and look for the mouthwash and it's the, the shelves are empty and you ask the clerk, where's the mouthwash? And the mouthwash and Gamble was not inspired. Writer's block. <laughs> yeah, it's not inspired. Writer's block, exactly. You can't, you can't do that. So uh, that's why I always, uh, I always 
always right, and uh, but Good. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Good. Uh, question three: What did you do when you found out you were being published for the first time? Um, well, that's a good question. I, I, I suspect a glass of wine was probably involved, but I, I think I also panicked a bit because my theory was always that this would be a business. And I always wanted to be a full-time novelist, mm. even from a very young age. And I thought, okay, I've got one, one done, one written, and one published. And I always told myself that I would then produce regularly. And by regularly, I meant at least once a year. Wow. And then I said, oh, it's like I caught the school bus. You know, the dog chasing the school bus. He's, what is he going to do with it now that he's caught it? And I, I thought, okay, great. And then I went, um, probably not that night. Probably my girlfriend and I had a glass of wine and went out to a nice uh, dinner. And probably the dinner cost the entire advance I would have received for my first book. But then we... Um, um, then we went back home and I probably, uh, you know, jotted some notes for the next novel. Yeah. Question four, do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I do indeed. And if I may, mm -hmm. I do teach courses in writing. Often they're free. It depends in conjunction with the library. Sometimes there's a nominal charge. I don't do this to make money. But I would recommend, if it's okay for me to say that, just yeah. to go to jeffreydeaver.com and check out when I'm teaching my course. It's a, um, a basically a two-and-a-half to four-hour course, depending on the venue, in writing commercial fiction. And hmm. it's, um, it's as comprehensive as any course you're going to have. I will distill that down now into just a few phrases. Um, one is you should write your uh, fiction in the genre that you yourself read, Hmm. You should remember that um, rejection is just a speed bump. It's not a brick wall. Just hmm. keep fighting your way right through it. Uh, plan out everything you write ahead of time. You don't have to do an extensive outline, but you need to know where you're going. And don't write a single word until you have a rough idea of where the story ends. And finally, and probably most important, respect your readers. This is all about them. This is not about you. Interesting. Um, and last question, question five, what are you reading right now? Uh, the book I'm reading right now is uh, not, a, um, uh, not a fiction book, although I do read in my, uh, in my genre some, but I love um, nonfiction books. I'm hmm. reading uh, Mornings on Horseback. Um, hmm which is a biography of Theodore Roosevelt. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And so, Jeff, what is your next book that you have out? Uh, the next book that is coming out in March is called The Cutting Edge. It's a Lincoln Rhyme thriller, and it looks at uh, crimes in the diamond industry, the fine, fine gem industry. Very cool. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around and talking to us. We appreciate well, it. Well, thank you, Maddie. It's been a pleasure. And and you should know that you are the reason that I still, every time I get in a taxi cab, check to make sure their handle's on the door. I'm probably going to take on Uber next, not to worry you too much. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Thank you, ma'am. Next time on Author Imprint, the podcast. You do spend far more time thinking about what to write than you do actually doing it. And in my case, I use around three to 400 sources to write a novel. Best-selling author Steve Berry. His new book, Bishop's Pawn, is out now. Let us know which authors you'd like to hear from and what you're reading. Follow me on Twitter at Maddie Orton. That's at M-A-D-D-I-E-O-R-T-O-N for the latest. And join the conversation by using hashtag author imprint. Thanks for listening. Thank you.